0: I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Like most weeks, I'm sitting here in Newport Beach, California, with my good friend and colleague, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. We need a round of applause for you. I know, sure. I know. We need a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about an article today that I wrote called "Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Moe. Intro to the article, I brought up this idea. What if I had never heard of what a casino was? And it was your job, Mr. Sean Latimer, to describe what in the world a casino is. I'm guessing you would say, hey, it's a business. And in this business, uh, there's all these different games of chance where the business is uh, gambling against the customer. Yep. And if that's all you told me, I would be scratching my head and I would say, man, So every year they're flipping a coin, whether they're going to be in business or not, because there's a key detail that's left out there is that every one of those games, even if it's slight, the odds tilt in favor towards the house or what we call the casino. What we're going to talk about today is this idea of if I have a lump sum of money, should I dollar cost average in over time or should I invest all at once? I want to start out by saying just like that casino comparison there is a slight advantage in your favor as an investor to do a lump sum investment. Why is that true? Because if you look at statistically, and I'll put the numbers in the article, but whether it's like a 52 or 53% chance that markets are positive every day, you have a slight tilt in your favor, right? Mm-hmm. It's not significant, so you don't always feel that it's happening, but there's a slight tilt uh, to your favor. But does that mean it's the right answer to always lump sum invest? It is not always the right answer, which opens up uh, kind of Pandora's box uh, of a conversation that you and I are going to have today, um, conversation that we have with other advisors, conversations we have with clients, and kind of uh, going along this journey of, is my objective to always maximize outcomes or also kind of manage my own kind of like psychological, like how it makes me
1: feel. Oh, of course. I mean, think about it. It doesn't matter what the outcome could be if we can't get you to stick with the plan. So if you know that that client is not going to be able to um, be fully invested one month and then see a large correction the next month, and you know that they're not going to be able to stick to the plan, then you have to navigate that.
0: We talked about an article last week called Staring Down a Line Again. Yep. And we both kind of remembered a situation where Or situations, right, more times where you bring on a new client and you get them invested right before kind of one of those cliff moments, uh, whether that was COVID in 2020 or December of 2018, where there's kind of, I invest on this day, and then in the first two or three weeks, I feel pretty impactful drawdown. That is extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So. It's funny because this simple question of uh, binary options, do I go lump sum or do I dollar cost average, opens up a really big dialogue. And if you are listening to this podcast and you did not have a recent liquidity event or an inheritance is making you kind of have to decide this, it's okay. Because what I want you to gather from it is the truths and the concept of how you kind of look for a fact pattern and break down... What is the best fit for you personally? So I'll, I'll ask you that. What do you do when a client comes to you and says, hey, what way should I go?
1: Yeah, and we were talking about earlier today, they they almost feel stuck because they're seeing record inflation. So it's kind of forcing their hand to do something, right? And they, they don't want it to sit in cash. They don't because... want it to sit in cash because they feel like they're losing buying power every day. And so it kind of uh, puts that emotional toll already, right? Where I have to do something. I know I have to do something. And then it kind of gives them pause, I think, at times where they think, well, does this mean I'm forcing the wrong decision? You know it is interesting though because if you were to ask people on the street, it's been called that dollar cost averaging is the more successful way to do it isn't that true like don't you remember reading that or uh, even even at even our, our series seven it talked about that was like the best way for someone to invest is through like small portions over a different period of time what why is that It's a great question so kind of the
0: history on that I think it's talking about that there's more of a truth about saving a little bit over time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do people earn wages? Does their company give them their paycheck on January 1st? They no. don't. Most time they get paid every two weeks <laughs> or once a month. So it's this idea of like, you get paid, you parse out what you want for savings, and then you use that to buy investments. We'll say stocks right. for, for this example. And w- what ends up happening since you're buying every two weeks or buying every month, you get a, a smoothed out price, right? Because you're never really buying at a peak or a trough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're buying at different increments. So when you take those different increments over a 12-month period and you average them out, you get kind of like a, a smoother price. I don't have a better way to say that.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. And so then if the... And I, I kind of laughed that you gave the answer of our question right at the beginning. But if lump sum is better, is that just kind of the theory that we believe markets are always going up? So if you're either having more invested than a little bit at a time. So that gives you that... chance instead of a 47% chance? Is that kind of the thought process? So I'll correct myself
0: if I said that at the beginning. It's
1: not better, right? Because we can't come to a conclusion of of what's better.
0: What we would say is that uh, it is statistically favors you if you go that route. Okay. So, as an example, I'm sure there's a lot, I'm not much of a gambler, but I've heard there's rules when you play blackjack, right, that if you're, like, at 16, like, there's a a statistically better decision of of hold versus hit, right? Yeah. Um, Does that mean that you win every time? No. No. It just means you're trying to put the probabilities – it, in on your, your side, yeah, yeah, in your favor. Yeah. So there's been a lot of financial writers that have gone out and done like this regression analysis against like market history in different times to see like, hey, is it better to lump sum or dollar cost average? They come to the conclusion that it's better to lump sum, but they're coming to the conclusion with what? A financial calculator. Yeah. They're not coming to the conclusion with a, with a, with a heart. Right. right and uh, with emotions, so there's different answers, so what I often tell people is we do exercise dollar cost averaging regularly for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, what we don't believe we know that the future outcomes for stocks and and returns and prices and, and stuff for the short run is unknowable, so we are not going into it as a tactic to try to create a better financial outcome. Because the only way the financial outcome is better is if your future entry price points are at lower prices. Mm-hmm. But what do we know is that if a client inherits or has a liquidity event of a significant amount of money and it gets placed into the market at a very unfortunate time, and the first statement that they open, they see that it's 30% less money than they started with. Ouch. That it goes back to what you said. Maybe they do stick with it, but that is not a great way to start out a relationship. Not a relationship with client advisor, a relationship with client and stocks.
1: Yeah, that's true. Especially if this person managed their own business for years, generated most of their wealth through it, sold it, comes to an advisor group. And, it, and unfortunately, we've talked about this before, You know, it could still be the right advice and it was just really unfortunate timing. So they come to any advisor, get the advice, and this is their first experience. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to, I think, for them to go through that, and uh, and then you're really just earning their trust all over again when you're trying to get them to stick to the plan.
0: First impressions matter.
1: Yeah. I was uh, telling a friend
0: this week that uh, sometimes I don't always make the the best first impressions, and I have what? A, I have a, I, <laughs> I have a lot of like longtime friends that always say like hey like as I got to know you I know your heart and I, I love you but like at first man you ticked me off or you did this so first impressions matter so much and, and like I said you are building a first impression between uh, an investor and in, in the stock market sometimes and I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say. You know, things like the stock market's a rigged game. uh, People always lose their money. Why? Because that person had a bad experience. Mm -hmm. And what they've done is they've taken that bad experience, they've bottled it up, and they've kind of projected that against all experiences with the stock market. Because it was probably significant. It was probably hurtful, painful, uh, and might have caused some financial damage. So it's not as simple as taking an an Excel document or something you read in a financial textbook or a calculator just to say, hey, 51% in your favor, this is the route that you go. Right. Because we don't live out probabilities. We live out outcomes. And sometimes those outcomes aren't uh, what we expected.
1: No, that's true. And it makes me think about the financial crisis where you you hear some horror stories where People, not only was there market volatility, but maybe some of those investments themselves were not suitable for the person. So they did lose a significant amount of principal, And and maybe there wasn't that trust or the communication with the advisor. So they they sell out of those positions. And they do have that sad story where they lost more than half their money. And they did realize those losses. That is a tough pill for someone to swallow. And they're not going to, I don't know if they're going to go back in the market after that, you know, and, and like you said, they bottle up. And that's their experience that they tell people. So when they're a kid, to their nephews, or when anyone asks an employee, they're saying, no, don't do that. That's a bad experience.
0: Yeah, I would say one thing that you definitely get as a financial advisor is you get to hear a lot of financial stories and you start to learn that the world is a lot bigger than the textbook Mm -hmm. because I know you and I both certified financial planners and uh, I remember Going through those courses and you kind of live in this world of, okay, what's the worst possible thing that markets have done? How long were recoveries and different things like that? But those are always kind of uh, linear stories. Yeah. Uh, but you never realize that, no, there's people that owned this company that went out of business and they had a significant amount of money and it actually went to zero you don't believe that when you're in those courses or studying those things because everybody's going to be well diversified and have the Mm -hmm. right asset allocation and they're going to make the best behavioral choices. But uh, that is not how it's actually lived out in the real world where it goes back to that same place. We always say it, uh, an extremely important quality of a financial advisor is empathy. Yeah, And uh, that's why so much financial planning is not about creating the greatest terminal wealth at the the end of the financial story. Um, it, it's about kind of going shoulder to shoulder with somebody and leading them down that journey.
1: Yeah, that's true. And the you already kind of mentioned this, but that's why it's not as easy as just telling someone, oh, this way is the way they do it because statistically it's better because you have to know that person and you have to know if they're going to be able to, I don't have a better word for it, but stomach it along the way. Because uh, comp- we, I think I just said this a couple weeks ago. If you want to benefit from the compounding, you, it's kind of the price of, of admission to suffer through the volatility. Sean, if
0: we made a lump sum investment for you today and the market went down 30% over the next two weeks, would you ever regret?
1: Oh, I'd be so pissed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, if the answer is yes... Then I think you definitely explore that idea of dollar cost
1: averaging, and it's true. People, some people psychologically just like that more because if they invest half now, and the market goes down, they go, "Whew, good thing I have this cash to invest at a lower price per share." Even if five years from now they would have been better off if they were fully invested, which statistically that's what the probability says will happen. Yeah, but it, it, it's something about that peace of mind that, "Oh, good news, I dodged that bullet," you know. Or if the market goes up. Good thing I still have a portion of my money in there. Yeah,
0: I actually like that framing because uh, I think in the world of finance, we always try to think of things as binary. Like, i own owned this stock for a really long time. It's highly appreciated, concentrated position in my portfolio. Do I sell it or keep it? And yeah. sometimes, like, I've been on calls with David Monson, and, and uh, it's a, it's an interesting answer. Sell half. And you're like, oh, wait, I never thought about that because I I thought it was keep it all or or sell it all. I remember uh, Jack Bogle, the founder of uh, Vanguard, the company, uh, used to say he had half his money in stocks and half his money in bonds. So if stocks were going up, he's so happy he owned them. And if stocks were going down, he'd be so thankful that he had half his money in bonds. So it was kind of always controlling his behavior. So we don't always have to think in binary terms. And like we started this conversation is that um, if there would be regret, Then it's totally okay. Explore this idea of dollar cost averaging. One client comes to mind for me, uh, you know, recently sold a business and things of that nature. And uh, one thing he said was, man, every time I've invested a significant amount of money in the market, it goes down tomorrow. Like, I should be an indicator. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He, he took, whatever he, I'm going to do, do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, he took his name and he's like, it should be the, you know, the Smith indicator, or the Johnson indicator, or whatever, like, um, that that everybody should know. And for me, like, that was like, a, a, um, an, a, a, a basically an alarm to me to say, like, this is a good candidate, for dollar cost averaging, yeah, right. Because then we don't have to have the the Smith indicator, the Johnson indicator. We literally can stretch that over time, and um, it it takes our listeners back to this place. If you're not in the place of making this decision, you now understand that you're making decisions both on what is in your best financial interest and what is in your best psychological interest, and there is a tension there that sometimes can be hard to navigate, and it's not always obvious that it exists.
1: And there's sometimes a, a big disconnect between the two where people say, oh, well, you know, what would you do? And, and i say, oh, I'd be fully invested for a longer period of time. that, that, that uh, There's better chances of success during that. And they go, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. And then they're, but their behaviors are totally different. We're like market moves maybe 3%. And they're like, hey, I'm hanging in there. And you're like, hanging in there? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> you're, like the, you're doing better than any of the benchmarks. You should be celebrating, which is kind of weird to say. But yeah, I think that sometimes there's a big disconnect of what people think they can endure and what they can actually endure.
0: Yeah, it's Trevor Cummings when he goes to a restaurant when he's hungry. Uh, I order a bunch of food and then by the time it shows up, I ate all the chips and salsa and I'm like, I'm not even <laughs> hungry anymore. Uh, sometimes my eyes are bigger than my stomach. But it, it kind of takes us back to this place of, okay, this decision needs to be made. Um, and it's beneficial to have someone to collaborate with to kind of walk through what makes the most sense for me. Uh, I, I, I know I had one of our fellow advisors, we were talking this week, and um, kind of this idea of concept of dollar-cost averaging versus lump sum, and he was asking, hey, do valuations matter or, um, you know, things that are going with Russia, Ukraine, like, like would you really do that for a client or this or that or the other and i told him hey i'm gonna be really simple with you I, I love the concept that uh it's not introduced in this book but it's elaborate in this book Nassim taleb writes that book skin in the game mm-hmm. so what's the best way i can answer the question what i personally would do with my own money um i will invest today as much as i will invest tomorrow um and i will continue to dollar cost average in with my wages Uh, And and that is my posture. And and it's based on this presupposition or what I believe to be truth. The future is unknowable. All I can look back at is history, and I'm putting faith that history has some reflection of how the future is going to pay out and a belief that uh, ambitious U.S. business owners are going to continue to do what they do, uh, and they're going to have resilience so I don't try to fool myself whether I know if markets are overvalued or undervalued. Um, I literally just, like a like a squirrel, just store away a little bit over time, believing that is the best strategy for my family.
1: He just lets it ride. <laughs> I don't know if I... <laughs> with I'd, the I'd casino it reference. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. But uh, another thing that you also talk about is you're in good company. Like, who's invested in the market?
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think about that all the time. Pensions, endowments, different institutions, people with a whole lot more money than me. Like uh, a lot of looking, gosh, I don't want to use California as an example, but uh, uh, fill in the blank on any pension mm-hmm. you, you want to talk about. Um, they have a liability to a whole lot of folks that are expecting lifetime income for what they earned for their services, whether they were a police officer, firefighter, whatever it might be there is an underlying lump sum of money that some investment team is out there managing. And what are they buying? Stocks, bonds, alternatives, and cash. Yeah. Uh, So it's not that Trevor Cummings is is risking it all on on what's going on. Uh, Like you said, I'm in good company, or folks are in good company uh, when they have to endure those things. And again, gosh, we're getting off a little bit, but uh, why do we think during the COVID moment that the Federal Reserve steps in and they start to operate and do things that they um, historically might not have done. It's to support and, and make sure that things stay whole and that financial markets run uh, what they would say normally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that to me, that that is a, a little bit of a faith builder. I think that's what you're asking.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I, it, that helps you. I'm assuming that gives you more faith that, you know, I'm not in this alone. So... It does also make me wonder that have you ever had someone that you either decided to dollar cost average or do a lump sum investment and they came back and they were upset with that decision either way?
0: Yeah, definitely. I've definitely had folks. It's not on the dollar cost average. I, I don't think so. That's always probably the that's safe, like the route. safe one, right? Yeah, I was <laughs> just a safe route as, a, as an advisor because, um, like you said, it, it's it, you can flip it both ways. Markets went down, and you're like, great, I have some cash to invest. Markets went up, great, I'm glad I had some exposure. Yeah. So I think the lump sums always hard because I think um, there's an expectation for the advisor to to know the future. There's an expectation for uh, the advisor to know if there's uh, a boogeyman kind of waiting around the corner, and we don't. Uh, and even if you just strictly took it on this idea of valuation, right? You, you hear that a lot in, in yeah. financial media, like, oh, you know, stocks are expensive based on valuation. That's a, a common term. There, there's not an easy mechanism for measuring when things are overvalued and undervalued, people usually write those books in hindsight. Right. Like, um, oh, now it all makes sense. What it's happened. Crystal clear. <laughs> yeah. What happened in 1999 makes a lot of sense today. Yeah. But people have those feelings in 96 and 97. So um, the mechanisms for picking peaks and picking troughs it is really difficult. You can say, hey, obviously March of 2009 was an amazing time to start investing, right? right. It was a trough. Uh, in March of two thousand nine, investors didn't feel that way. Yeah, uh, that is this idea of capitulation. Um, it's when that last person sells or the last person buys, or h- however you want to look at it, um, it. You don't always know the turning point, and the turning point is easily definable when you look at it in hindsight.
1: Well, the funny part is March of two thousand seven was a great time to invest too. It's easy for us to say now, right? It's going to be bumpy road along the way, but. It was a great entry point, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Even even when you get smacked in the face at the beginning, um, that gets diluted away the longer you stay invested. I'll ask you this. uh, How about clients that are currently fully invested? Let's say it's a client that has uh, their money in a 401k and they're retiring and that 401k is fully invested and it's coming over as a rollover check into their investment account.
1: That's a lot easier because you can look at their current exposure and it's kind of like uh, if you weren't retiring this year and you're retiring in six months, this is the exposure that you'd be having now. So um, that that almost kind of gives you, especially if they've been invested that way for 20 or 30 years, that kind of gives you the story of what their risk tolerance probably really is. It's easy for someone to say that they can withstand a 25 or 30 percent downturn. Uh, But it's another thing when you come across someone's 401k and they've been invested in 100% equities for 30 years. It's kind of proof in the pudding that they can withstand that because they have. Um, Now, obviously, they're in a new chapter of life. And so the question I ask people the most is, what's the purpose of this money? Is it to fund retirement expenses? Is it going to grow and accumulate and go to future generations? Are you charitable? Do you not have any dependents? Is it going to go to your church? Whatever the purpose is, that's the first question. And then we start to build the actual financial plan.
0: Yeah, you kind of start to bullet point the objectives. Mm -hmm. And then once you have those objectives, you build out investments that um, basically satisfy each objective that's laid out. Uh, I I like the the order of operations there. And I kind of like what you said of like if somebody already had those exposures, for me, it's like sometimes you'll hear people saying like uh, real estate prices are really high. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to sell my house and then I'm Mm going to go rent. And then I'm going to wait till the market crashes, and then I'm going to go buy a new home. Uh, I haven't known a lot of people that have done that successfully, um, because again, it, to time peaks and troughs is is really difficult. And I don't know. Let's say three years ago, you thought real estate was o- o- overvalued, or however you wanted to, to articulate that, and then you went to rent. And now you're three years into renting, and you're like,
1: <laughs> rent, rent, rental prices are at all time highs you missed out on a bunch of money you could have gotten if you held on to your property.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it, it's to what you're saying is that you, you have to look at all the facts. Like if somebody was currently invested and had those exposures, it's not always about deciding one or the other. Sometimes you just want to kind of keep those exposures consistent. Um, this is really a question of, new money is hitting your balance sheet and it's significant to your net worth you know um, you had a net worth of a million dollars and then an inheritance comes in of another million dollars you just doubled your balance sheet and you have to decide what to do with this new cash mm-hmm. um, that's where I think you should sit down and kind of make a pros and cons list understand uh, how will this impact me uh, financially and how will this impact me psychologically because one thing we didn't even speak to for for some investors, they really want to live off the income production of the portfolio. And if that's true, you kind of have to accelerate getting it fully invested so that you can start that income production.
1: Well, yeah, the longer period of time you have it in cash, it's not paying anything.
0: Yeah. So it's like, it's so multi-factored. And it's, um, I know it's disappointing when the question seems super simple <laughs> and then your advisor pulls out like a whiteboard and three colored pens. A
1: 20-minute explanation. Yeah. You're like, gee, thanks. <laughs>
0: But, I mean, these are the type of topics that have to be somewhat collaborative, right? Because as much as an advisor will do their best to put themselves in the investor's shoes, uh, they don't have the benefit of knowing that person's experiences. You might have had somebody that had a a grandparent that uh, in the Great Depression, something horrible happened, and it was like, um, you know, the, the family still talks about it today. Like, those emotional wounds... And scars, they're real. Mm -hmm. You got to account for those things. So I would say the biggest truth that somebody should gather from a very specific conversation like this is that there's the psychological side and then there's the financial side. And when we talk money, both of those things matter, um, I don't know, equally or or one matters more. So like I said, it's hard to decide uh, what the balance is there. And I'll say for some people, it probably leans towards the financial is a whole lot more important. A little bit psychological, and for some people, it's going to be the opposite. We're all wired differently. Yep. We we know that we have uh, some friends that can go re- through really stressful times, and they're cool as a cucumber. And you have some people like me that you know you're a friend I of shrunk. mine. Yeah, yeah. We go. I, I, you know, when there's there's stress in my life, you know it. Like you'll come to me like, hey, Trev, what's going on? Um, because because you can feel it. So again, we, we all have a little bit of a different DNA and a little bit of different
1: makeup. Absolutely,
0: Sean's giving me that I'm giving look, you a look. The look. The look. The look. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we've uh, we've covered this topic uh, pretty well. So, um, that's what we chatted about today. We chatted about this idea of lump sum versus dollar cost averaging, and that it's not as simple uh, as just one answer. Um, it is the doorway to a conversation between a client and advisor to figure out what is the best fit for that particular client. And we understand that there are psychological ramifications. We understand that there's financial ramifications. We understand that there's an intersection of this choice and somebody's financial plan. So again, it leads us back to that same place. Great place to start a dialogue. So if you're in that situation, you had a liquidity event, you have an inheritance, and you want to discuss this, you can email Tom at thebonsigroup.com. You can address that to Sean. You can address that to Trevor, whoever you'd like. We'd be happy to answer the question. It's always also a great place to uh, leave comments, uh, ask questions, or even ideas of different topics you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts. Um, We'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars preferred. All comments on podcasts are welcome. And then, uh, of course, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts on on money. Money.
2: advisor before establishing a retirement plan.